This morning I pro- proclaim to you God's word from Acts 2, the verses 1 to 13. I want to apologize for messing up the theme and points in the liturgy sheet. They're not correct this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles and the other believers, those who heard them speaking in tongues were perplexed, and they asked, what does this mean? Within Christian circles, many today still question the meaning of Pentecost. What's so special about the day spoken about in our text? Wasn't the Spirit already present and active among God's people in the Old Testament? What really changed on the day of Pentecost? To properly understand what happened on the day of Pentecost, we need to go back to Acts 1, the verses 4 to 8. There the Lord Jesus instructed the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Jesus explained that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Just as Jesus' ministry began with him being baptized with the Spirit, so the ministry of the disciples depended on them receiving and relying on the Spirit's power. Thus, the events that occurred on Pentecost must be interpreted as a special historical event. It signified a new period in God's dealings with his people. Pentecost signals the dawning of the age of the Spirit. At Babel, we saw a confusion of the languages and a division of people into various tribes and nations. When the Lord established a special bond with Abraham and his offspring, he promised, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The point of Pentecost is missional. The goal of that mission is that the earth Be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It is that the good news of Jesus Christ's salvation work might be spread to all tribes and nations on earth, that many may bow the knee and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. At Pentecost, Christ poured out his spirit on the church, so that he would be glorified among the nations. We're going to consider the time of this outpouring, the signs that accompanied this outpouring, and the results of this outpouring. Our text begins with a reference to the time when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Acts 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived. Some versions translate, When the day of Pentecost came. There is a reference to the fulfillment 
of time. It reminds us of how in the Gospels the Lord Jesus often referred to the fact that his time had not yet come. At the wedding feast in Cana, Jesus' mom Mary suggested that Jesus do something about the fact that the wine had run out. He said, my hour has not yet come. When Jesus' brothers suggested that he go up to Judea to show forth his signs, he refused to do so because his time had not yet come. Yet a few days later, he went. In Luke 9, 51, we read of a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Luke writes, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Our Lord never acted until the time was right. He did everything at the appointed hour. Now each year, God commanded his people to gather in Jerusalem for three feasts. The Lord set appointed times for Christ's death, resurrection, and for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to show how Christ fulfilled the feasts of the Old Testament. The first annual feast the Israelites celebrated each year was the Passover feast, which included the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover was celebrated to remind the people of Israel how the Lord had delivered them out of Egypt. The people sacrificed a lamb and spread its blood over the doorposts of their houses so that the Lord would pass them by when he killed all the firstborn of Egypt. Near the end of his life, Christ commanded his disciples to prepare a place to celebrate the final Passover. He commanded them to go to the man of the house and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. They celebrated a day early so that Jesus could offer his body and blood as a sacrifice for our sins on the day of the Passover feast. Jesus fulfilled the Passover by dying as the Lamb of God for the sins of all his people. The first fruits of the barley harvest were offered up to the Lord on the third day after Passover. It happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Christ also fulfilled this feast. On the third day after Passover, he was raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul refers to Christ being raised from the dead as being the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ's resurrection assures us of God's promise that on the final day, our bodies too will be raised from the dead. Similarly, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place on one of Israel's feast days. Pentecost was one of the annual Old Testament feasts celebrated by God's people Israel. It's also called the Feast of Weeks. Seven weeks after the presentation of the first fruits of the barley harvest, on the day after the Sabbath, <coughs> the 50th day, the Israelites were to offer to the Lord the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Please note that seven 
is the number of fullness, of completion. Seven times seven weeks indicates the fullness of time. In Israel, the Feast of Pentecost was a time of joy and celebration. People gathered from far and near to give thanks to God for the wonderful provision he made for them in granting them the fruit of the land. By this time, the barley harvest would have been complete, and the wheat harvest was just beginning. The people could look forward to harvesting their olives and their grapes. This harvest festival was a time of joy and thanksgiving at God's wondrous care over their lives. We know that in Jesus' day, Pentecost was attended by many Jews, not just from Palestine, but from wherever they'd been dispersed. Our text speaks of Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, and of visitors from Rome. Our text specifies that some of these were of Jewish origin. They were people scattered by the exile or who had moved from Judah for other reasons. It also notes that some of these were proselytes. They were Gentiles who had converted to the Jewish faith. We have here a picture of the Old Testament church, the people of God at that time. The Lord had established his covenant with Abraham and his offspring, along with all those who were willing to join themselves to this covenant community. Acts 2 verse 5 says that there were devout people from every nation under heaven gathered in Jerusalem. People from all over the known world gathered for Pentecost, for the Feast of Weeks. The outpouring of the Spirit on the church fits perfectly with the symbolism of the Feast of Weeks. At this feast, God's people were commanded to offer to the Lord two loaves of bread made with fine flour, the first fruits of the wheat harvest. On the day of Pentecost, we see that the Lord receives the first fruits of the nations and he gathers them into his church. The loaves presented to the Lord on Pentecost were baked with leaven or yeast. Symbolizes a mixed group of people, Jews and Gentile believers, gathered together as one, giving thanks to God for his redemptive work in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament ethnic and cultural barriers were removed. So there would be one church of Jesus Christ made up of people from all languages and nations. It's also important to remember that the Feast of Weeks celebrated the beginning of the wheat harvest. Some of the first fruits of this harvest were gathered and presented to God. But the rest of the harvest still needed to be brought in. Christ pours forth the Spirit on the church so the church would be, would be equipped for its missional task. Remember Jesus' promise at his ascension when he said that he would send the promised Holy Spirit, that his followers might be given power from on high, that they might serve as his witnesses 
in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Pentecost is but a foretaste of what is to come. It anticipates the gathering of the complete harvest. The Lord prepared his disciples for this special day. Remember how after Christ's ascension, he appeared to his disciples, but how Thomas was missing? That doesn't happen on the day of Pentecost. Christ had commanded the disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait there until he sent the promised Holy Spirit. Our text specifies how all the believers were together in one place. Acts 1.15 specifies that this group numbered about 120 people. They gathered daily, awaiting the fulfillment of Christ's promise. And so we see that Christ set the stage perfectly at his appointed time. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were gathered together so that the Holy Spirit could be poured out on them. Brings us to our second point, the signs that accompany this outpouring. The initial outpouring of the Spirit of Pentecost was marked by three powerful signs. First, there was a sound of a violent rushing wind that filled the house. Second, there were visible tongues of fire resting on each person. And finally, there was a miraculous speaking in foreign tongues that none of the disciples had previously learned. The sound of the rushing wind was primarily a picture of invisible power. Even though you cannot see the wind, it can exert incredible power, especially in a tornado or a hurricane. Our text tells us that while the disciples were sitting in the house at around nine in the morning, they heard the sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Know carefully that there was not a mighty wind blowing. The people only heard the sound as if such a wind was blowing. This sound is a sign of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why does God use the sound of a rushing wind to symbolize the Holy Spirit? Well, we should realize that both the Hebrew and Greek languages use the same word to represent both the wind and the Spirit. Just like God is in control of the wind and sends it wherever he wills, so God sends the Holy Spirit on whomever he pleases. In Genesis 2, verse 7, we see how God breathed life, the breath of life into man whom he had made from the dust of the ground. In Ezekiel 37, we see how God commands the prophet to prophesy to the wind, to breathe on a valley of dry bones. When he did so, the breath of life came into them. The Lord explained that in similar fashion, he would put his spirit within his people and that they would come to new life. Jesus further explained this to Nicodemus in John 3. He told Nicodemus of the need to be born of the Spirit. He said, The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. 
so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like the wind, is a mighty power, but we cannot see it. We can only see his effects. One of his most powerful effects is taking people who are dead in their sins and granting them new life in Jesus Christ. The second sign of the coming of the Spirit was the appearance of tongues of fire resting on each person in the room. Throughout the Bible, fire symbolizes God's holy presence. In the wilderness, Moses saw the burning bush, which was not consumed. When he came closer to have a look, God told him to take off his sandals, for he was standing on holy ground. Later, as the Lord brought his people uh, through the wilderness from Egypt to the Promised Land, his presence among them was symbolized by a pillar of fire. When John the Baptist prepared the way for the coming Messiah, he said that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. During his ministry, Jesus said he had come to cast fire upon the earth. The final place of judgment is the lake of fire that burns with fire forever and ever. Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. Fire is a symbol both of purification and of judgment. Everyone is put through the fire. Believers are like silver or gold and are purified. While those who reject Christ are like dross that's burnt up. The tongues of fire that appeared as signs of the Holy Spirit symbolize the Spirit's almighty power. Through the preaching of the gospel, the Spirit has the power to burn into people in a way that purifies them. As Paul later said in Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Yet the gospel is also a stumbling block over which people trip and fall to their own condemnation. The final sign of the coming of the Spirit was that the people on whom he was poured forth spoke in foreign languages that none of them had previously learned. Believers from all over the world heard Jesus' followers speaking about the mighty deeds of God in their own native languages. How is it possible for a group of largely uneducated Galileans to speak the gospel in so many different foreign languages? Peter explains that it was not because they were drunk, but rather because the Spirit was poured forth upon them. He quotes from the prophecy of Joel, where the outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh is foretold. What they saw happening was the supernatural work of God. By the power of his Spirit, God undoes what happened at Babel. At Babel, when mankind wanted to make a name for itself in rebellion against God, the Lord had confused the languages 
He had divided the people into different languages and nations. But here on the day of Pentecost, God shows that he will bring together his church from people of all languages and nations. That, beloved, is something truly remarkable. Different nations often speak different languages. They develop different customs. They eat different food. Bridging the gap between different people groups is incredibly difficult. We tend to like what is familiar and to distrust those who are different from us. Unwittingly, we're all racists, most often without realizing it. We tend to discriminate discriminate against people from different nations and races and languages. And yet the outpouring of the Spirit symbolizes that Christ has broken down that dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, between slave and free, between men and women. In Christ, we are all one. The signs of the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, and the speaking in tongues all point to something awesome. It is that Christ poured out his Holy Spirit on the church. Our text testifies to this truth. It says that the believers who were gathered together that morning were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ sent his Spirit from heaven on his church to equip her for the glorious task of witnessing about him to the nations. Brings us to our final point, the results of this outpouring For many people, the outpouring of the Spirit raises a question. Many ask, what's so special about Pentecost? Wasn't the Spirit present already? Wasn't he active among God's people in the Old Testament? What really changed on the day of Pentecost? The Bible speaks about how the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Covenant. He empowered people whom God called to office so that they could fulfill their God-given roles. He enabled Bezalel and Aholiab to function as as skilled craftsmen and build in the tabernacle and all its furnishings. The Spirit also came upon men like Saul and David when they were appointed to serve as Israel's kings. Generally, we know that no one can come to faith without the working of the Spirit, that he worked faith and renewal in the hearts of God's people of old. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell all believers. When Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, he told them he would send the Holy Spirit to be with them forever. He said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. 
It's only on the day of Pentecost that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps an example will help make this clear. Egypt's president commissioned the construction of the Aswan Dam on the Nile River in 1953. This dam was built 375 feet high and 11,000 feet across. When it was finally completed in 1970, an elaborate ceremony was held. All 12 turbines of this hydroelectric dam were unleashed with enough power to light up every city in Egypt. Now, during the construction of the dam, the Nile River was not completely blocked. Even as the reservoir was filled, part of the river was allowed to flow past. The people downstream depended on it. They drank the water, they washed in it, they irrigated their crops with it. But on the day when the water from the reservoir passed through the turbines, a power was unleashed that went far beyond the few folks who lived downstream. It brought possibilities that they'd only dreamed about. Well, beloved, Pentecost was like that. Before Pentecost, the Spirit provided a blessing for God's people Israel. The Spirit worked faith in the hearts of the people. He equipped their leaders for their God-given tasks. But on the day of Pentecost, God unleashed a special power from on high. God, the Holy Spirit, came to indwell the hearts of all his people. He equipped them to serve as his witnesses so that the gospel would go forth powerfully to all the nations. He caused the gospel to penetrate the hearts of many different people, that they too would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We see evidence of the Spirit's power manifest on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached to the crowds gathered in the temple courts about Jesus Christ being the Messiah sent from God. He accused the people of crucifying him, but states that God raised him from the dead. Peter showed from the Old Testament scriptures that all these things had been foretold. He states that it is the risen Christ ascended to the right hand of God who poured out the Spirit that day. Peter's sermon had a wonderful effect. The people were cut to the heart. They repented of their sins. They believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. It is the Spirit who worked powerfully to bring this about that day. About 3,000 souls were added to the church. The Spirit continues His glorious work today. It is the Spirit who unites us to Jesus Christ by working faith and renewal in our hearts. Paul writes in Romans 8 about how there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, you, however, are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He writes to the Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? The Spirit has come to make his home in us. And that, beloved, changes everything. By faith, the Spirit unites us to Christ. He lives in us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He works powerfully in our hearts and lives, transforming us from the inside out. More and more by the Spirit's power, we put to death the works of the flesh, and we bring forth the fruit of the Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit changes our lives. It's through His powerful work that God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Romans 5, 5. It's through, the Spirit's, it's through the Spirit that we experience the peace of God, even during some of life's most bitter trials. Philippians 4, 7. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we may abound in hope. Romans 15, 13. Ultimately, it is the Spirit of God who allows us to testify to others of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples not to be anxious about how they should defend themselves or what they should say when they were arrested and brought before the rulers and the authorities. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. It was the Spirit who equipped the apostles, who were uneducated men, to stand up and bear witness with power and conviction when they were arrested and brought to trial before the Jewish ruling council. Similarly, beloved, it is through the power of the Spirit that we are called to bear witness about Christ our Savior. Jesus commanded us, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you want your light to shine brightly in the community around you, then live a life of love. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We can't live in that way in our own strength but only by the power of the Spirit within us. Peter commands us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We need to speak to our unbelieving neighbors and friends, workmates and classmates, about who Jesus is, about what he has done, and how that changed our lives. Often we find this really intimidating. But remember what Jesus said to his followers in Acts 1 verse 8. He said, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit can and will help us in witnessing about Christ to others. God's goal in pouring forth His Spirit upon the believers in Jerusalem was that He might gather to Himself a church from all tribes and nations and languages. Christ sent the Spirit upon the church so that throughout the generations, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ might share their faith with those living in darkness. God's plan is to redeem for himself a people from every tribe and language and people and nation so that all together we might give him the praise and glory for sending his Son to save us from our sins. So, beloved, on this Pentecost Sunday, I want to ask you some questions about your involvement in God's plan of salvation. Is your focus on God's glory in all things? Is your passion that the nations would glorify God through the gospel? In your life, are you consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit to equip you for God's service? Is it your daily desire to bear witness of Christ to those who are lost and perishing? The Spirit has not been given to you just to make you happy. He has indwelt you to make you holy that in your words and deeds you might give glory to God as you witness of his saving grace. That's the meaning of Pentecost for us today. Amen.